In 1 Samuel 25, verse 2 through 3, Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Let me set the, the context for you. Sheep shearing was like harvest in that day. It was time to party. Mounds of wool everywhere, and they would be roasting sheep over spits and and calves over spits. I mean, it was a time to celebrate. And people would come, the poor, and they cooked so much food that the poor would take away platters full of food. It's still like that as a custom whenever Ramadan ends in the nations that I'm in every week. They have Id. And when they do at the end of Ramadan, they have all of this food and they, they want everybody to come. And, and whether you're Christian, Muslim, they don't even care. Just It's time to party. Now, listen to this. The name of the man who was shearing sheep was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. His name means fool. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. I want to speak today from this subject, what men wish their women knew about men. Father, would you anoint your word today and anoint our understanding? Your word is actually always anointed. It's we who sometimes are not anointed to hear, sometimes not even anointed to speak. And so I ask that you would not let that be an impediment and that you would speak today and that you would anoint us to understand and hear and transform our lives, our families, our relationships through what we're about to learn from your word. And everybody said, Amen. Shout it out loud. Amen. Amen. The story of Abigail is actually one of the most exciting and fascinating stories in the Bible. Abigail was an extraordinary and unique woman. The scriptures revealed to us that she possessed an, an exceptional degree of understanding and insight into the nature of men. It's often something that women do not have. Men often don't have insight into the nature of a woman. She understood men. Abigail was also a woman of extraordinary beauty, grace, and intelligence. And she, forgive me for the term, she must have been quite a haughty because she caught David's eye too. If you don't know the story, David has been anointed by Samuel. He's fled from Saul. He's already killed the giant. He's got a reputation. And now Saul is jealous because David is anointed. He started out with a little group of men in the wilderness and that grew to the 30 mighty men, and now there are not 30 mighty men, there are 600 in the wilderness of Paran. And they've gathered to David, and David is mentoring them. There was a wealthy man named Nabal, whose name I've just mentioned, the fool, who owned thousands of sheep and goats. And David and his men had protected Nabal's animals and his sheep herders, but had not taken so much as a single sheep to feed his men. They had literally been a wall of protection round about them. If criminals, there were these marauding bands of bandits. They were going through the area. They took one look at David's men and his 600 valiant soldiers. And they said, we'll find a soft target. And they left Nabal alone. Whenever sheep shearing time came, David sent 10 young men, which was the custom, as I pointed out, still is. 10 young men, you don't send 10 to say hello. He was fully expecting Nabal to reciprocate and give them something. 
as people always did in times like this. And they came and they asked Nabal to share something with the men that had protected his flock and kept them from losses. When David's men showed up, instead of showing appreciation for what David and his men had done for him, Nabal, the fool, he insulted them and said, Who is this David? There's always some young servant breaking away from his master and trying to make a name for himself. David, I have no time for him. And he insulted David and his men. And these ten young men went back to David and told him word for word what Nabal had said. And David was livid. Don't forget this is the giant killer. He was furious. He told 400 of his men, get ready, get your weapons, we're going. I'll wipe everything out that breathes, that Nabal owns, every family member, every animal. I'll kill everything. And he was furious, and he got on his way, left 200 of his men with their, their camp, and he was going to kill Nabal. Now, Abigail heard about this. Servants that had overheard the conversation went scurrying to, to Abigail. It's tragic that they had to do this and could not go to Nabal, but he was such an obstinate man, he wouldn't listen. And so they went around to his wife and said, I don't know if you heard what happened or not, but this is what occurred. And she knew immediately what the response of a man would be and that kind of a situation. It was time to throw down. And she said, i got to stop this. She told her servants, get together these packages of food and all of this and meat and everything else, and we're going to go meet him. And she met David before he got there. Sure enough, here comes David and 400 men, and they are ready to get it on like right now. And she dismounts, and she begins to plead, and she apologizes for the uncouth behavior of her husband, and David is placated. And she gives the gifts and turns around and goes home. And David turns around and goes back to his camp, having come that close to killing everything that breathed in Nabal's house. And when she got home, she walked in and she told Nabal what had happened. And when Nabal heard how close he had come to the precipice and to getting killed and everything he had being wiped out, He had a stroke and became paralyzed and for 10 days couldn't move. And after 10 days, the Bible says this, the Lord smote him and he died. And when David heard that he had died, he was so impacted by the behavior of this woman and her understanding of the nature of men that he sent for her. She was beautiful on top of all of that. And he got engaged and he married her. You say, why are you talking about this? Because study after study reveals that you are not automatically born understanding the nature of the opposite gender. It's something that has to be learned. Study after study reveals there are five basic thing, things a man needs from a woman. These, there are others, but these five things are the, what's most important to a man. Listen up. Number one, sexual fulfillment. I'll go through this quickly. Number two, recreational companionship. Number three, an attractive spouse, number four, domestic support, number fifth, number five, admiration. These same studies also ask women what they wanted in a man. These are their five top needs, affection, conversation, honesty and commitment, financial support, and family commitment. And right away, 
you notice there's a problem. Because you will notice there's not one thing that's on the man's list that's on the woman's. And there's not one thing that's on the woman's list that's on the man's. Hello, somebody. And this is why we have such a hard time in relationships. We're talking different languages when we talk our needs. The number one need for a man is sexual fulfillment. It is clear from the story in Samuel that David found Abigail to be an extremely attractive and desirable woman. I mean, the sparks flew when he met her. The lack of sexual intimacy in marriage is killing relationships right and left. There are many reasons for this, but the fact remains that the failure to find fulfillment in marriage in a way that is sexually gratifying to both the man and the woman is destroying marriages on every hand. Sex is a gift from God in marriage. Sex out of marriage is a curse that will destroy you. God meant for the marriage to be the means for the fulfilling of the sexual appetites of both men and women. In 1 Corinthians 7 verses 3 through 5, the scripture makes it clear that you have an obligation to take care of the needs of your mate. I'm going to read it. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Do you know that was in there? The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. It's the only time you should interrupt the normal relationships of intimacy in the bedroom. It's when you are in a season when you both agree, let's turn our attention entirely to God and pray and fast. And afterward, the scripture said you should come back together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And unfortunately, in many marriages today, partners are not concerned about satisfying the needs of their companion sexually. A few days after creation, the Lord called Adam and said, Adam, it's time for you and Eve to begin to populate the earth. So I want, to, I want you to go kiss her. And Adam answered, God, what's a kiss? So God gave a brief description to Adam who took Eve by the hand, led her over to a quiet place nearby by a babbling brook under a tree. And a few minutes later, Adam returned and said, wow, God, that was wonderful. Thank you. And God said, I knew you would enjoy that. Now I'd like for you to go caress Eve. And Adam said, God, what is a caress? So the Lord again gave Adam a brief description. And Adam went back to where Eve was waiting. He began to caress her. And after a while, Adam returned smiling and said, whoa, Lord, that was even better than the kiss. And the Lord said, I knew you'd really enjoy that. You've done well, Adam. And now I want you to go make love to Eve. And Adam asked, what is make love, Lord? So the Lord gave Adam directions, and Adam went again to Eve, who was waiting. But this time he reappeared in only five seconds and asked, Lord, what's a headache? <laughs> yeah. 
A man needs three things if he's going to have a fulfilling and intimate relationship. And these are not the things that you might be thinking, ladies. It's not a certain negligee, a candlelight dinner, or a particular kind of music. That might help you get in the mood. Listen, I won't tell you from a man's perspective, we don't even need all that. We're ready to go right now. Men are pretty much revved up at any moment and any time. A mother was teaching her nearly grown daughter about men and how to avoid being in a situation that could get out of hand. And the daughter asked the mom, how can you tell if a man is sexually excited? And the mother answered, it's actually very simple, daughter. Look and see if he's breathing. If he is, he's excited. Ladies, you can be mad, not talk to your husband for a week. You can fight, have World War III in your home. But if you walk in one day and your husband is sitting there fuming and angry, and won't talk, won't look at you, and you just walk over and say, baby, I'm sorry, and kind of bat your eyes at him. He says, okay, I'm over it. Let's go. Let's head to the bedroom right now. That's just how men are. Amen. Men need three things to find sexual fulfillment. They need a woman who is, number one, passionate. Number two, proud. Number three, peace-loving. If you want to know how to be a woman of passion and put the sizzle back in your marriage, I'm going to talk to you. Your husband wants you to want him. Oh, it's real quiet now. Your husband wants you to desire him. Be the kind of woman that can leave inhibitions outside the bedroom and have a good time inside the bedroom. A woman who knows how to do this will find it far easier to keep a man than someone who is unresponsive and shut down when it comes to intimacy. To keep passion in a marriage. Number two, a man also wants their woman to take pride in themselves. Men want their women to care about her appearance and how she presents herself. And I'm not talking about being prideful or arrogant either, but rather the quality of possessing self-confidence. You Listen, you dress like you stepped out of the display window at Saks on Fifth Avenue when you were dating. And now that you're married, some of you sit around in a dirty, torn house coat with a pocket half ripped off, an old pair of pantyhose wrapped around your head, and your breath smelling like Limburger cheese. Can I preach in this house this morning? There's something about a woman who is self-assured and who projects a sense of value that men find extremely attractive. Let me say this to unmarried men, uh, women rather, unmarried women. Men also value what is hard to obtain. Are you listening, young lady? You think you got to get in bed with the first guy that wants to date you so you can have a marriage and a future? And Listen, men value what they can't get. You make it too easy, he won't marry you. If he does marry you, he's going to find somebody else a little bit later that did make it hard. And he's going to say, hmm, this one's more valuable than this one. You don't want to jump in bed. You hear what I'm saying? Amen. Until you've got a ring put on it. Whether it's a car, a job, a house, if a man doesn't work for it, he does not value it. If it comes too easy, we don't treat it right. Some of you too young to even remember this group I'm talking about, but you don't want to be like that old song by Chicago. 
You don't know Chicago? That's when music used to be music. Don't be saying to someone, if you leave me now, you take away the very heart of me. Come on, help me out. Ooh, no, baby, please don't go. Don't you tug on somebody to hold on to them. Can I talk to you? Amen. If somebody walks out, you need to tell them, look, I love you. I don't want you to go. I'm committed to you. But you're leaving the best thing that ever happened to you. And if you want to go, I want you to know God is going to take care of me because I have value. Amen. I'm amazing. I need a lady to say that. I'm amazing. For there to be passion, a man also needs a woman who is peace-loving. Hmm. Lord, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's fighting all the time. Fighting over every little thing. Fighting over what program to watch. Fighting over the kids. Fighting over money. Fighting over dinner. Fight, 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 fight all the time. Fight. Amen. Nobody likes that. That doesn't contribute to an intimate environment. And for you to avoid conflict, ladies, listen up. You need to learn how men communicate. We do not communicate like ladies. Help me out. Do I have any Abigails out there? Your girlfriends are going to converse with you in a different way than your man will. Women talk all around a subject. Come on, help me, ladies. Men go in a straight line and say exactly what they they wanted to say. For example, when I fly in and I ask Jerry what is for supper, she's likely to tell me, well, I plan to make a gumbo, but Rochelle needed me to pick up our grandson Jonathan from school because she had to bring Chaslin to cheerleading practice. And I was on the way to school, but there was a lot of traffic. So I finally picked up Jonathan and got him home, but then Rochelle was delayed because it was raining. And it finally stopped raining and the sun came out, but because of the rain, she was so late that I ran by the store and picked up some smoked andouille sausage. But when I got home, it was too late to make a roux and cook a gumbo so I took the potatoes and I threw it together with a sausage I bought and made potatoes and sausage you know how a man would answer the question what's for supper sausage and potatoes We don't communicate the same way. Can I hear an amen out there? We don't care for shells running late. It's raining. Jonathan had football. We don't care about any of that. Sausage and potatoes. And tell about the other stuff later. If you expect something to function beyond its limitations, you will always be disappointed. Give you an example. You expect that red dress that you wore 15 years ago when you were dating and 20 pounds ago to still fit it, you're going to be disappointed. And if you expect your husband to talk like your girlfriends, he's not going to be able to do it. Hello. And just between me and you, if he does, I have a few concerns about that. Can I just get real with you? Lord help me in Jesus name. Amen. The second greatest need of a man is recreational companionship. It is clear from the Bible that David enjoyed being with Abigail. A man wants a woman he can have a good time with. Tragically, couples 
start out having fun, but somewhere along the way with jobs to go to alone, to mow, meals to cook, dishes to do, cars to wash, bills to pay, three kids, soccer practice, the chess club and the drama club and everything else isn't fun anymore. Ladies, a man needs three things from you to have fun. He needs you to be number one, present. Number two, pleasant. Number three, playful. A good recreational companion should be present. Ladies, you can't be going everywhere. As soon as he comes in, I'll see you. I'm going. I'm going to the mall. There's a new mall over here. I got my girlfriends and I, and we got this meeting. Uh-uh, you got to spend some time with your man. Hello, somebody. Y'all remember what it used to be like? Two o'clock in the morning. You still there? Yeah, I'm, I'm just... Now you don't have time. Amen. Got to go see Aunt Sally. Uh-uh. The second thing you must do be to, be, to, to be able to be a good recreational companion to your husband is someone who can have fun and, and be pleasant. Everybody say pleasant. Would you do it? I want to ask you a question. If you had to live with you, talking to the ladies right now, Would you enjoy living with you? Amen. Proverbs 21, 9. It's better to live in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. You can have the view. You can have all this and that and trees and a nice house and, and I mean, good furniture. But if you got a quarrelsome woman, you'd rather be living up in the attic. And a woman should also be playful. That is, she should endeavor to be someone who knows how to smile. Practice that right now. Smile. Amen. That's what a man wants to see. You need to understand timing, ladies. Can I talk to you? There's a good time and there's a wrong time. Ecclesiastes 3, 4. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. When your husband comes in, learn to read your man. Come on, help me. Learn how to read your man. He walks in the door and he's frowning. That's not the time to load him down with every problem that went wrong. Toilet got stopped up. Sink, faucet broke. Uh, kids, you know, you don't even want to. Hold on. What you do is say, baby, sit here in this chair over here. Can I wipe your brow for you, darling? What would you like to drink? Can I bring you the remote? I'm talking Greek to some of you ladies right now. You're saying let him get his own remote. (laughs) The number three greatest need of a man is to have an attractive spouse. Abigail was apparently quite a knockout. At least David thought so. And you need to know that every man wants a trophy wife. It's like going fishing and all you caught was a little bitty perch. You don't even let anybody know. You sneak back into the boat launch, get your boat loaded and the trailer, and you take off and you go. You don't tell anybody. But if you catch a 12-pound bass, you come back singing Telling everybody at the ramp, y'all come see what I got. And all the people gather around and they start asking, what kind of lure did you use? And how deep were you fishing? And what hole were you at? And what part of the, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
A man wants a trophy wife, and apparently Abigail was extraordinarily beautiful. In 1 Samuel 25, 3, it says she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. Oh, Lord. She would stand out in a crowd. If there was a room filled with women and she walked in, every woman in the, in the room would turn and smile when she entered because, you see, women appreciate beauty more than men. And ladies, you need to know this. Oh, I'm going to talk to you right now. Ladies know how to appreciate one another's beauty. You know why? They know how hard it is to get there. They know how long it takes to put on the face and do the eyelash blushes and, and the eyebrows and the mascara and, and all of that other stuff. And, and they, they know what it's like to have to select a, I mean, you can't, you got 10 outfits laid out on the bed trying to pick which one. And, and does this one go best? And, and do I use pearls or do I use a little diamond with that? And, and what, what actually do I, I need to wear? And do I use bright lipstick or do I use a subdued color? Not men. No, no, we don't lay 10 outfits out on the bed. We're dressed in 10 minutes and we sit in the kitchen for 15 looking at our watch and saying, what's taking her so long? And we keep saying, are you ready yet? You ready in there? No, not yet. It'll be a little while. Give me a few more minutes. Okay, I'm going to the car. And we even start the car because we think that's going to make her hurry. And after 10 minutes in the car, we turn it off and go back and sit at the kitchen table again. Because you're not going to hurry her. Abigail stood out among women. And before this story ends, David is going to marry her. What makes a woman attractive? Is it physical beauty alone? When God created Adam, I'm going to get real with you. The Bible says he formed him from the dust of the ground. The Hebrew word is God framed him. Did you all ever see a house being framed? It's got two by fours and rafters and, and all of that. That's all it is. It doesn't have furniture. It doesn't have a decorator in there. There's no rug. There's no hardwood floors. None of that. It's just framed. That's what God did when he made a man. He just framed him. Okay? It says it right there in the Bible. But when it came to the woman, the Hebrew word that is used when God took a rib is different. It says that God built the woman. Oh, yeah. That means he shaped her. You're not hearing me. He shaped her. You're still not hearing me. He shaped her. She's built. That's why men still say, a woman's built. Beautiful woman walks by. A godly man has to train himself. To keep his eyes and his head to honor the covenant he's made with his wife. Because our instinct is to say, well, that's built right there, you know. (laughs) Job said, I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? Implying that the natural response is to notice the shape. Now, I want to say this. I know women get weary with how some men act. And the fact that God created a man to be attracted to a woman is no excuse for a man to act like a pig either. Can I just say that? I don't condone or excuse the kind of crass behavior that some women have to go through. I don't. And you should never as a child of God ever ever exhibit that kind of behavior. Men, are you hearing me right now? 
But to be attractive, a woman has to be positive, patient, and prayerful. Amen. Ladies, when you get married, don't say now that I got him. (laughs) You know those chocolates I was avoiding? You don't want to do that. Why are married women heavier than single women? You ever think about it? Answer simple. Single women come home, see what's in the fridge and go to bed. Married women come home, see what's in the bed and go to the fridge. (laughs) Come on, you know that's a good one. I mean... A woman needs to be positive. Never compare your husband to another man. Never. Don't say if you had a job like Harry. You did this. You don't ever want to do that. You don't want to compare your husband or your man to somebody else. Also to be attractive, a woman should be patient. Everybody say patient. You need to give your man time to grow and become a man of God. Too many people marry expecting the person they marry to become their project. You are not the Holy Spirit. Let God help him grow. It is long term. Number three, be prayerful. If you want to be attractive. Because when you pray, there's a serenity that you carry that you will not have if you don't pray. In this crazy, stressed out, upset, divided, and hostile world. I want you to realize that a man, a woman, a man can see a woman from a distance and think, wow, she's beautiful. And then she gets a little bit closer. (laughs) She can become ugly in a hurry. Once you realize she has a nasty disposition and temperament. When a woman is prayerful, she has a sense of depth about her. She's not prayerful. In today's society, most women feel entitled. Let me just talk to you. Guys, you can walk ten job, work 10 jobs and that, that, that still not be enough. The song that women hate the most is Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Because they want a whole lot more than just you for Christmas. <laughs> Amen. The number four greatest need of a man is domestic support. He wants somebody who will help him build a happy home. And this has to do with the fundamental necessities required to make a home and to raise a family. Abigail knew how to support her man at home, even when he didn't deserve it. She proved that just by living with this guy, Nabal. When he acted in a way that put her family in danger. She was able to protect her home. She even protected her husband from the consequences of his own foolish decisions and went to stop David before David could attack and kill them all. She cared about the home to successfully provide the kind of domestic support that a man will appreciate. Ladies, listen up. A woman should be three things, practical, productive, and protective. Effective domestic support requires that a woman first be practical. Everybody say practical. There are daily needs that must be taken care of in the house. If both the husband and the wife work outside the home, the logical thing to do is divide those responsibilities, but don't neglect them. If they have small children, the woman's job is never done. 
And dad, you need to know that. It presents its own challenges. To be effective concerning the domestic needs of a man, a woman must not only be practical, she must be, everybody say the word, productive. You can't be lazy and sit around all day watching soap operas. Husband comes in, hairs in curlers. Uh Uh-uh, listen to me. During the years, I've had to visit many, many homes as a minister to deal with a crisis or to counsel people or to pray for the sick. And I've seen some things in some of those visits, ladies and gentlemen. You can't imagine the clutter and the mess that I've seen in some homes. Dirty dishes piled high, dirty diapers. Oh, Oh, Lord, have mercy. House hasn't been clean. And God only knows when. Wife told her husband, honey, I want you to whisper some dirty things in my ear. He said, kitchen, living room, laundry, dining room. (laughs) I don't think that's what she had in mind. To successfully take care of a man's needs on the domestic front in a way that he will honor you, a woman must also be protective. Abigail took care of her home and her husband. And I close. The number five greatest need a man wants from his wife is admiration. A man needs his wife to look up to him and to honor him. And when Abigail met David, I want you to notice that she honored David without being flirty. Because she was still married to Nabal. But it made an impression on David that he never forgot. You see, we men are often blind when women come up and cross the line. We don't see it. Our wives do. They get us home. They say, you see, you you better watch out for that woman. She's getting a little. I have learned to listen to my wife when she tells me things like that. I am too deep into this marriage and my relationship with God and my destiny to mess up right now. Can somebody say hallelujah? Delilah was the exact opposite of Abigail. Delilah was actually in competition with Samson. But he had such a crush on her, he couldn't see it. He was in lust, not love. And she was using his weakness against him. If there's anything a man hates, don't use my weaknesses against me. Don't you live with me and find out my secrets and go tell them to somebody. Especially another man. You hear what I'm talking about. 1 Samuel 25, 23. And when Abigail saw David, she dismounted. Watch this. From the donkey, fell on her face before David, bowed down to the ground, fell at his feet, said, Oh me, my my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, and I've emphasized by capitalizing a number of these places, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm from my Lord, meaning David, be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, meaning David, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord, meaning David. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord, meaning David, and endure. 
enduring house because my Lord David fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man is risen up to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my, my Lord David shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God and the enemies, uh, the head, the lives of your enemies. He will sling out as from the pocket of a sling. She knew about Goliath. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord, meaning David, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord, again David, has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Do you know that 14 times she referred to David in just those few words as my Lord? And six times she referred to herself as David's maidservant. She didn't pull rank. She was a nobleman's wife. She didn't pull rank. David wasn't even all that when Abigail met him. David was running in the wilderness from Saul. All he had was an anointing and the memory of some oil poured over his head. That's all he had. He wasn't king yet. But she recognized him and gave him honor. She went, found a way to look beyond his imperfections. Because he was on his way to kill. Our whole family. And she showed him honor. I close with this. To be able to admire your husband, a woman must be three things. She must be perceptive, prudent, and purposeful. Abigail was perceptive and understood how to diffuse an explosive situation. She was an intelligent and insightful woman. Ladies, don't react to everything that happens. Look. Perceive. Learn, as I said, how to read your husband. Number two, she was prudent. To be prudent means to be wise and practical. She approached the problem that had been created by her husband's behavior in a way that diffused the situation rather than escalating it. How many of you seek to diffuse a situation? Or how many of you put your hands on your hip and say, you know, and instead throw gasoline on the fire? It's not what you want to do. Amen. And it was also very clear that Abigail, in addition to being perceptive and prudent, was very purposeful. You need to understand this about men, and I close. Every man in this building is looking for his identity. If you are 45 or 25, 15 or 80, you are still in the process of growing your identity. That's who we are. That's who men are. You need to recognize that. Don't challenge the man because he's not there yet. When I was young and first started preaching, I would memorize this sermon and then that one by different preachers. They preached a good sermon. I'd memorize it. I'd go somewhere and preach it. Practicing. And one Sunday I'd sound like this. And another Sunday I'd sound like that. Trying to develop who I was. And somewhere in the middle of all of that, emphasizing a word just like he did and, and raising my voice at that point and, and doing all of that. You know what happened? I learned to be me. I emerged out of all of that. But you know who sat there and never said a word of criticism? It was the woman God gave me. She didn't try to say, you know, you sound like this one. She didn't do that. She didn't find fault. She supported me in the process of discovering my own identity. And that's what you must do as a woman of God. Somebody in the building shout hallelujah. We'll say this to every man or woman who is here. The key to success is not to seek success. 
It is to seek your gift and develop it. And that's what I was doing, practicing during those early years. Don't seek money, seek value. Money is attracted to value. If all you're seeking is money, you'll never get anywhere. Amen. If you increase your value by developing and perfecting your gift, money will come looking for you. Amen. And as I mentioned, the woman needs the, uh, the, the husband needs the wife to be prudent. Prudent and uh, purposeful. Don't be like Delilah. Don't be like that. Telling all the secrets of your family and that a man has to live that down. Even when a man is wrong, he doesn't want that. Hello, somebody. I need, and you say, oh, but my man, he's, you know, he's out of touch emotionally. He's shut down. Well, guess what? You just described 50% of the planet. Women are emotional creatures. Men are not made that way. Women often get upset because their husband isn't emotional. Let me tell you about emotion. Men are like mascara. They usually run at the first sign of emotion. You notice how they talk, and I'm done. When they talk, men don't talk about, I feel this. Men say, I think this. You watch a group of men talk and they're, well, this is my opinion. I think this. And well, I would disagree with that because this is my opinion. This is what I think. Women get together. It's, I feel this. I know that because I'm working right now with a committee of about 20 people. And there are a bunch of women on that committee, the decorating committee and design committee for our new building. And it is beautiful. They have done an incredible job. They have saved us several hundred thousands of dollars. They're not charging a cent. They've made decisions about color and all of these other things. And it has been phenomenal. Everybody that goes by that building says, wow. Amen. And when they go inside, they see what's happening. My daughter, Rochelle, is on that. Mandy, who sings up here, is on that committee. And a number of others, I think a total of 20 of them all together. And every Saturday when they come in, they forget I'm a man. (laughs) Rochelle will call me and say, Dad, I need you to meet me at the building. And so I go down there and meet her at the building. I was there yesterday. And she said, Dad, we got this decision to make. What do you feel? And I said, baby, that is not my area of expertise. I leave it with you. And then they'll go to talking among themselves, the people on the committee. And I I heard it yesterday. Well, I I feel this. And I I feel that. And I just smiled to myself because there is no way I'm putting myself in the middle of that situation. (laughs) Amen. My grandma didn't raise a fool. (laughs) Hello, somebody. Would you stand with me? Don't expect your husband to communicate like a, you're one of your girlfriends. I want you to come and gather with me, and I want to pray over you this morning. I want to pray for families. I want to pray for couples. I want to pray for singles. God will give you insight to relationships. There's some of you that are struggling with integrity. I want to pray for you. You see, I I know simply because of the fact, can I get real with you? I know because 
even though this is a church, we, we have, you know who comes to church? It's people. Look at somebody and say, people are here. Would you do that? Keep telling you, there are no saints in this building. We're working toward it. We're not there yet. We're in process. Just turn to somebody and say, I am in process. Would you do that? I'm in process. They are too. And because I know that, I tell you what I know. I'm going to get real plain with you. I know that there are some people in this building who are in conflict right now. Said somebody tell you something? No. I just know it. Because we're humans. And you're a man and you're a woman and you're a woman and he's a man. And it's gonna it's gonna create conflict. The conflict with some of you is so severe that your marriage has been in trouble. You're not born understanding your companion. And for some of you, it's gotten so far out of hand that you've stepped out of the bonds of wedding, matrimony the vows and you've done some things that have added to the pain of your family and I want to pray for you right now first of all could I ask us to just bow our heads and pray a prayer of forgiveness God forgive us where we failed you that's a prayer I pray every day of my life God forgive me where I failed you would you say it right now God forgive me where I failed you God forgive me where I failed my family I'm not perfect, God. Forgive me for the mistakes I've made, the hurt that I've brought, the harm that I've caused. God, now I pray for healing. I pray for healing, that you would heal families that are struggling because there there are people in this building right now whose hearts are broken and shattered. And there's some of you that don't even care that you shattered and hurt somebody. Because the enemy is so blinding some of us that we don't even, we don't even see the wrong we're doing. We're, all we're obsessed with is us. God, forgive us. And God, heal homes. And bring peace. God, bring intimacy back. Let the sparks fly again. Whatever attracted us together, God is still there it might be buried underneath a lot of things right now but God I'm asking you to let that be resurrected reawaken that and I want to tell you what else I've learned ladies and gentlemen you say you and Jerry have never had any crisis in 51 years of marriage oh yes we have oh yeah but we made a commitment over 51 years ago it was 51 years this past June it's going on 52 years 51 and a half years now we made a commitment that we were going to be committed to each other and in covenant with each other until death do us say it until death that's God's plan for your marriage some of you have been divorced some of you are divorced right now you're going to have to rebuild a relationship and I pray for you in the name of Jesus that God will help you find that happy home that you need would you pray with me right now again Father I pray I pray I pray for commitment to be strengthened 
There have been people, as I've already said, they're not divorced because they want to be God. They're divorced because they were abandoned. They were divorced because they were betrayed. God, I'm asking you to fill the void in their lives in the name of Jesus, 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 in the name of Jesus. one thing we've learned in all of those years together is that if God is in the middle of it he can fix it keep God in the middle of it come on somebody keep God in the middle of it